This is Big Man Tyrone, and you're about to watch the MTG Cabal cast with your hosts, Wood, Thirsty, and Reptar. Sub to us on all your podcast networks at MTG Cabal Cast and YouTube. Alrighty, guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal, Pat, Cabal Cast. Good lord. Part one of two. So. This is going to be a two-parter basically on alternate formats. Where are they now? We're going to cover CEDH and Oathbreaker, pre-modern, and why am I blanking? This is why I need sleep. Pre-modern, middle Middle school. school. Yeah, sorry. Which, uh, rip. Anyways, um, this first episode, we're going to cover CEDH and Oathbreaker, where they're at both as a format and what their financial impact looks like, because that's obviously what we're here to discuss. Yep. Let's take it away. So uh, CEDH is kind of interesting. Uh, I guess there's always been the competitive side to EDH because people are going to want to play competitive magic anyway. And for me, it almost feels like the genesis of the format was when EDH was added to Moto. And yeah. you really got to basically have the entire card base at your fingertips and tickets cost nothing compared to real dollars. Although at that point in time, I think duels were still actually a decent chunk. Yeah, I um, think so. But other than that... That's where I remember seeing like the first decks actually hit, and we're talking around Origins through uh, what set was Brawlin uh, called? Aether Revolt. Aether Revolt. Yeah, like somewhere in there, um, because Flipnissa and Brawl seemed to be like the decks to play, and when they banned one, uh, another legend from within the, the deck just moved out uh, to Helmet, and then eventually the format moved to Paper as Watsi really began subsidizing EDH on the whole a little bit better and made the format a little more accessible to everybody else. This is something I do want to come back to later. Through printings of, like, you know, Monoball. Monoball, yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the reprints in Eternal Masters did a ton. Uh, we've seen Biobox promo, uh, not Biobox promos, uh, yeah, Box Hoppers, uh, the Masterpieces, things like that kind of help people get into the format by lowering uh, the price point. Force of Will, similarly, uh, a big... A big card in CEDH and it makes it more uh, approachable on both sides of that and then they continue to support more I don't want to say competitive I think I want to say streamlined here I think this is the correct word EDH play every couple of yearly commander sets with cards like Dockside Extortionist which is the banner image on the CEDH subreddit with the the guardianship cycle from commander 2020 I think Fierce yeah, Guardianship and the like, essentially alternative Force of Will, Force of Negation and Modern Horizons, and like a number of CDH staples that I'm just not that familiar with. But then you have cards in Standard that kind of push it, like Emery, uh, Uro, stuff like that. And it just kind of blossoms this more competitive way to play EDH, something that's less like the format that Watsi is supporting with these now set-based decks, and something more along the lines of a cutthroat format like Canadian Highlander or Australian Highlander where you're just trying to build these really synergistic decks that just continuously do their thing. Uh, people like to call it, what is it, an 80% format where like 80% of every deck is basically the same. It's like the same uh, accelerants and a monobase. And especially within color combinations, it's like, all right, if you're running black, you're running Demonic Vampiric Tutor, Grim Tutor, Demonic Consultation, stuff like yep. that. Your blue package is, is always the same. Yep. Yeah, but but they are still, nevertheless, very distinct 
from one another despite those similarities and i think that's one of the things that makes it so unique from like a health perspective is you can have 80 percent in a vile smasher thrasios deck or tana timna whatever yep but that 20% can make it into a completely different game plan. And that's one of the reasons that, to me, makes it so fascinating from a financial perspective, because you do have this 80% block, Mana Crypt, yep. Mox Diamond, Chrome Mox, like all this fast mana artifact package that's going to be in most of the decks. But then that other 20% is where you have that opportunity for finance. And I think one of the best parts yeah, about yeah. this is it has gotten so much more active as a community that there has been more of an outreach of people to say, look, I enjoy my dirtly kitchen table decks, but sometimes I do want to go a little bit more high end. Sometimes I do want to be a little bit more competitive. Maybe I should do that. And that's kind of to me, and you'll see it reflected on all the message boards and the discord itself. Uh, At any given time now, there's a number of matches that are going on that, you know, two years ago, it may have been one or two. Now it's four or five at a time. And locally, I don't know how it is for you, uh, what we've seen here in St. Louis is a very large uptick in the amount of people that are actually like playing the format to enjoy the format yeah, and coming out and asking for these cards. They want a Mana Vault. They want a Mana Crypt. And like you said, the reprints have kind of helped with that because it went from a format that was prohibitively expensive, right? Where you had a $200 Mana Crypt you needed for your deck of... $500 Mox Diamond, and sure, one of those is still there, but you didn't have to hunt for these cards, because now your LGS has them, because it was, you know, Mana Vault or Mana Crypt was printed in Uma. Or they're in binders. Or, yeah, yeah, or they're in binders now, and that reprinting, and this is an example of Watsi's reprinting policy being good for the health of a format, and that's because they haven't printed it into the ground, whereas they have with some other cards, but I think they're still paying attention to the metagame. You know, there's a reason that caustic caterpillar foils are ten dollars yeah yeah it's cedh Mm -hmm. and when you talk about how casuals drive the market and now we're seeing casual people casual players play cedh and that's at least locally for me what i've seen and from what i've seen in the discord and some of the message boards is a bunch of people that are like hey we don't go to the lgs we just play at our kitchen table once a week but we want to build this deck yeah i i think uh it's weird. CEDH seems to like poke at the ethos of what Commander is supposed to be, and I think you need to understand that. And a lot of people don't, so you have this weird mixing pot. It's like once the conversation about power level and social contracting come into play, you're probably looking to play a different game, which is CEDH, and the rest of your table wants to play EDH. And that's actually what I'm seeing up here is. I know where to go if I want to play more aggressive games of EDH. And yep. I know where to go if I want to play more relaxed games of EDH. And I think that's perfectly fine and that's perfectly acceptable. And you just have to understand that, sure, they're both commander in a sense, but they are completely different games because people, nobody's going to have fun at the table when you start mixing those two together. And the that is important to know but both sides of this do put pressure on cards similarly a lot of times uh, I'll, I'll point point again at dockside extortionist yeah every time the uh the cag gets together and decides to say hey we're looking at cards what do people think dockside extortionist is one of the first cards mentioned and it is just repeated down the thread like 
but that is a key card for a lot of casual EDH players and CEDH players uh, alike. And uh, Planeswalkers kind of fill a similar gap. Uh, there's a CEDH decklist database.com. You can take a look at this, and like it, it's great. You get to see a lot of what's going on. You see a lot of overlapping things with what's going on in regular EDH. These are just like turnt, you know? Reg regular EDH is below the, the fold, if you want to call it like that. Like power scale 1 to 10, it's 5 or below. CEDH yeah. is probably 7 and above, and that's what you're looking at here. Like, yeah, sure. There, Azami and Emery are definitely decks you'll play against in regular EDH, but they're not going to combo off as often. Same thing with uh, Godo. Goto yeah. can be really basic, like Ugg Boots and Pumpkin Spice Latte basic, or you could like bedazzle your deck and play CEDH. And like, I think that helps what people understand what's going on, what they want to do, that helps them. And I think CEDH really does help finance on the whole, because if people weren't pushing up on these mana vaults, the, this alternate crowd wasn't pushing up because this is the crowd that's like, okay, I don't want to take that 80% and just keep slapping on 20%. I want to, I don't want to have an 80% shell. I want another deck. So I'll go out and I'll pick up those vaults, etc. They help push that finance, not narrative, but, you know, aspect of what we're seeing on a lot of the yearly EDH product. When um, 2019 goes up, on Amazon like it did this week that has Dockside Extortionist it was listed it was repriced and then it was gone yep right and that card's going to sell to both sides of this but CEDH players are going to know like I need Dockside ASAP and those are the kind of people that might actually just buy the set and flip it yep you know? and I think that's perfectly fine I, I love CDH, CEDH for what it is and like I said, I think the biggest issue surrounding it really is just that social contracting and understanding who you're talking to. Yeah, and I think that's something that, you know, at least for me, I've seen a lot, even at GPs when those happened, when you would go to the EDH area. At first, it was just a free-for-all, and then they set up the signs yeah. that were, like, casual, competitive, 80%, and you knew sitting down what the social contract was. You knew going into it what you were going to do. Yeah. You knew, all right, this is how this works. And I think that the broader acceptance of the format, and I think that's because, you know, and this is something I talked about, I think, a year or two ago uh, when I was, you know, talking about CEDH on the cast, was sitting down and pub stomping mm -hmm. was so frowned upon and was so common that it did give competitive EDH a very bad name. People just assumed pub stomping was what it was. Yep. And people started having the conversation and sitting down and saying, look, I, I want this dialogue to happen. I want to be upfront. This is what I'm playing. And, you know, I was a big proponent of if you want to play CEDH deck and you know nobody else is, just tell them, look, I'm playing a high power deck. You guys finish your game if I win. Yeah, just yeah. finish it out. And I think it's interesting because you've seen the community kind of drive the change in the format. And that has driven the financial aspect. Mm -hmm. And now the only things that are cost prohibitive are like dual lands. But again, if you're playing casual EDH, you may have those because all the other cards that you might not necessarily have, like Mana Crypt and stuff, Mana Vault, those have been reprinted recently. So you could have drafted those and you could have got them when I think Mana Crypt was at one point down to what, like 50, 60 bucks? He usually drops just about that low each time. Yeah, and, and then it recovers pretty quickly. 
But you have that opportunity to get in there and do that. And it's been fascinating to me because as you've seen buy lists evolve, you know, it used to be fetch lands, fetch lands, fetch lands, fury, endurance, like stuff like that from the new set. Now, in addition to fetch lands, you're seeing this EDH stuff that used to be primarily a driver for CEDH. All of a sudden, Mana Crypt is hot listed at any given day at three of the four big vendors, you know. Yep. You're going to see it on their hot list. And I think that's, to me, one of the things that I like about the format most is that it has started to be that financial driver. As casual players get into it, it starts being, it's competitive EDH still, but the casual players in that format are driving the finance. And I think that's been phenomenal honestly yeah absolutely it's weird that it puts like upward pressure on finance and downward pressure on the speed of decks right yeah so it's like if you don't have the the cedh crowd playing if if you don't have those people playing, then it's just gonna edh is just gonna be dirtily forever the cag is just going to be playing battle cruiser magic they're not going to yeah. work with watsi and try and speeding things up which benefits both sides of the game you won't see these cards every now and again that just blow the doors off sonya starting with like true name nemesis right that's before CAC yeah. but like then Toxic Deluge Baleful Strix they were all in the yeah. same fucking deck uh, on the Grixis deck that year and you, you don't see that if the CD, CEDH side of things doesn't really exist which, which is like I said a, 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 a detractor and, and a benefit to, to the situation and it's kind of interesting to see what CEDH does on its own to the rest of the ecosystem. You mentioned Caustic Caterpillar, right? And that's not going to be the only thing. I don't have great examples of this because I'm not, you know, a CEDH player. But the the weird commons and uncommons, we were just like, this doesn't feel... Bubbling muck. Yeah. Like, or, um, man, I just keep thinking about it because I got ranched by it. The Blood Moon for Swamps. Everything oh. becomes a swamp, right? Yeah. Like, that card, sure, you just disable, you cripple the table on turn Contagion. One. Contagion, that's it. Yeah. Like, sure. Like, that's something you can absolutely do in CEDH. Yep. And people are just not going to be, they might not be into it, but it's just part of what goes on, and this format's going to be putting pressure on cards like Contagion. No, not Contagion, that's the, uh, the Free Force of Will for Black. Contamination. Is it contamination? All right, it, it doesn't matter unless this card's like 40 bucks. That's the one. Is it foil? Does it come in foil? It's like $32. Bang. I was right. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that's CEDH putting pressure on this bad boy. Like, And I like I said, I, I think it's good because it forces Watsy to to bring new things to the table when they're looking at reprints it forces them to consider power level of players across the format and really help them shape commander into what they want it to be and it forces the the cag to kind of play along with everybody else instead of staying in their own little ecosystem in their own little bubble where they generally exist and make weird bands like paradox engine but that one's neither here nor there. Overall, CEDH is thriving, and I do expect more people to move into it in time. Like you mentioned, I think it's a popular way to play EDH, and as they keep pushing out these reprints, people are going to find the format, or the version of the format, more accessible, move into it, and that kind of just drags 
everything up again and again and again. And that allows us to operate within this zone kind of a little bit better financially as long as you're paying attention to the right resources. Be it the, the subreddit, which has you know, 60 some thousand members. If it's, you know, uh, CEDH decklist, sorry. So yeah, CEDH decklist database.com that also links out to like the discords for all the decklists that are on there with primers and everything else. This is just a side of commander that's going to get more popular. It's not like tiny leaders that was so limiting that it kind of oddly collapsed under its own weight and it's not an alternative way to play constructed magic like emperor or five pointed star or anything like that this is just kind of a mutation off of what is floating magic right now yeah it's just a philosophical difference from the core format it comes from yep. and i that's great you know that's that's what to me makes it have staying power uh the fact that it is inherently the same but different yep whereas tiny leaders was excuse me, just a different format. You know, completely different than EDH. It had different deck building constraints, everything. CEDH is not. It's literally just your philosophical approach to the format. It's just like when you go to your local game store. You know, you've got the guy that inevitably is going to try to make a token deck work in standard because Watsy loves printing token cards every chance they get. Sure, great, awesome, fantastic, sign me up. And then you have the spike there that's like, all right, I'm, I'm here to win. Yeah. I'm getting those packs at the end of the night. That's basically what it is. Yeah. And that lends itself to so much more diversity and honestly just the ability to survive because it is inherently the same philosophy that the game has, right? It's a zero-sum game. You're playing to win. Yeah. yeah. It's just all it is. Yep. Yeah. And it, it, it's not demonizing in any way, shape, or form. People just want to be no. a little more aggressive when they play EDH. Like, I had definitely have decks that I could make CEDH viable if I wanted to. I choose to keep them at a reasonable power level for my group. I also have a couple dirtily do's for for that as well because I like playing the gamut based on who I'm with. Sometimes I just want a low key night. Like, you know, now we're able to actually watch football and jam EDH because schedules have changed. And you know what? A nice slow deck actually complements that kind of evening really well because I'd rather yell at my TV than a board state. And yeah. And CEDH just helps, you know, push finance for EDH, and it helps people kind of, like I said, realize that, like, maybe, okay, we don't have to be super dirtly. It, it, you get to see what others are doing and aspire, if you want to think yeah. about it that way. The For me, there's really not a lot of negative around the format. I dislike, I don't enjoy the discourse. Dislike is a strong word here. I just don't enjoy the discourse that says, we need to separate ban lists. We need to call the format we need to fix the 80 percent problem etc because i think that's just limiting what people want to do like ban fetch lands from constructed it's the same fucking thing like uh, it's it's stupid look you've got a group you play with just come to a gentleman's agreement ah fine this is on the ban list you know how easy that is yeah it's literally just sit down when you're playing and say hey guys i think you know the rules committee is kind of dumb and cyclonic rift should be banned over a card like i don't know sway of the stars who knew yeah yeah come to that agreement just make that decision you know it's it's similar to and this is granted different format the raga banned tournament that just happened for legacy 
where oh, the community yeah. said, hey, we're going to do this tournament like Ragavan's Band. Yep. Is everyone cool with that? Gentlemen's agreement. If you sign up, you're agreeing not to do this. Awesome. Cool. Let's do it. Yeah. How is that so difficult? Why do you need the rules committee to step in? Sorry, that's like one of my big soapboxes. I hate that. Well, so it's much. fine. I'm it's right like there with you. The yeah, the CEDH thing was kind of, it wasn't created to like, fuck off. You know, RC. It's just like we we're gonna do this better, faster, stronger, and yeah. you're not gonna be able to iterate fast enough. So here we go. And it was weird when like Watsy stepped in and moderated Moto. Like that was the weirdest thing ever. But yeah, that was kind of like their intro to, or their foray into uh, actually guiding the format like they are. But whatever. Like yeah. Financially, though, I, I think you know CEDH is all gravy. It's just tied. It's just tied to EDH. It just ensures that you know a lot of these, not corner case cards, but a lot of these more aggressive EDH cards are going to have a home. If they're going, if you're going to have the ability to sell these a lot faster than you yeah. did before because they have a home. They're not just going to sit in binders. They're not going to move to somebody who's just buying infinite of. Like, people aren't buying Contagion just to sit on Contagion. People are... Not Contagion. <laughs> contamination. Yeah. They're buying that card to play. And that's what I like about CDH and, and what it, it does financially. Uh, hard to dovetail, but Oathbreaker, another, like... I consider it a version of EDH. It's similar, but not quite. It's, yeah effectively a single uh, 60 card singleton deck helmed by a planeswalker and an instant or sorcery in your planeswalkers colors you can only cast the spell when your planeswalker is on the battlefield and they're both subject to the command tax so the spell once it resolves successfully or not is put back into the command zone it costs two colors more and then the planeswalker when it dies goes back there and this is something that is uh, built and maintained by uh, an external organization, quote unquote, compared to CEDH. Uh, I think, is it just weird cards? Yeah, just weird cards. So they're the guys that if you ever went to a GP and you saw people set up playing Oathbreaker, weird cards is the charity that basically started is. this. You know, like, hey, we want to do something. It was weird cards and magic hits were the two that together said, hey, this is what we're going to do. Uh, and it was started as a charitable effort by Weird Cards and Magic Kids, which is the charity. Uh, and I think that's great. I think it's a very interesting way to look at the format. Uh, it is, however, something that was just gaining steam prior to COVID. Yes. Because it was showing up at every GP. People were talking about it. People were able to play it. And then, it, you know, looking at the subreddit, you know, the last post was 12 days ago. Yep. Uh, five or sorry, five days ago when they announced that they're making a third party licensed under the fan use clause pre-con starter decks for the Oathbreaker format, which I think is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's great that we have a format like this that literally has an organization behind it that's ready to say, look, we'll support this. We'll do the products. We'll do it all. Uh, and I think, you know, that said, that's very good. But I think it's unfortunate that this did not, to me, become the financial driver it could have because unfortunately it just died yeah. because there weren't events they didn't have a way to push their format and you know reddit's reddit sure uh it's not very active you know and the oathbreaker charity or the oathbreaker official twitter is super active 
but it's not quite the same as the community itself being that active. Yeah. Uh, we talked about this sometime after, I think, uh, Magic Fest Minneapolis, when Weird Cards one. had a booth. And yep. so we actually got to see what was going on, and people were slinging the format all day long, and I think you and I both had it pegged to something that could be a financial driver. And yep. I still believe in the format. Uh, I was wondering about this when we were talking about topics, and I was like, this is... Oathbreaker is kind of what sparked the idea and it was like serendipitous because shortly thereafter a tweet went by from the top level Oathbreaker Twitter account that basically said hey we're sorry things fell off but a number of Oathbreaker personalities or uh, progenitors of the format actually we work in healthcare yeah pandemic hits we just that's it we got to cut loose and actually refocus and like yeah perfectly fine it understandable Fans kept the, the format alive as best they could. And uh, when I was combing through Reddit, I noticed what you did, which is basically it's like days per post, right? But a lot of those posts do end with like somebody from the moderation team or somebody who helps build or guides the format, like you know, essentially a community manager saying, hey, pop it in the Discord. This is where things are. So they're yeah. pushing a lot of traffic there. And so I think we're not seeing what's going on right now with Oathbreaker because one, they're no paper events and two everything's going on below decks a la old school if you're not in the old school uh like facebook groups discords etc for either your region or some of the larger uh tournament series you just don't know what's going on and i think that's where we are right now with oathbreaker edh rec still has the oathbreaker slice of things so you can still take a look at decks that are being submitted so people are still working on this format. Right now, it's just a little quiet. And because this is a fan-made format, you're really only playing if you can find people in paper or on uh, webcam. And I think there's some people talking about, like, their LGS runs Oathbreaker FNMs. Yeah. Like, uh, that's actually, the, the Discord is very active, and there are people that say their LGS runs FNM, and they get, like, 10 people. It's not, you know, firing with six. They actually get a decent amount of people yeah. for it. And there's actually, I will say, there is one shop near here that runs Oathbreaker once a week, and they always have at least eight. So it's, and that's one of the reasons that I think it can be such a good financial driver is because the community may not be large, but it is absurdly loyal. Yeah. And that's why I think that it has the ability to be a financial driver. Yeah, I think this one's going to be a driver in an interesting way. And I th for me, I think it's going to revolve solely around the idea of the Oathbreaker, which is your Planeswalker, and the signature spell that comes with it. And I think it's really going to be because the format will eventually hone in, and it's going to put pressure financially on like the top X Planeswalkers. It's not like... We have nine infinite planeswalkers. There are a lot of them. There Thanks, are War. a lot of bad ones, though. Yeah. So you're going to see as people hone in that, and I think there's going to be some interesting things going on as the format picks up with, like I said, those spells. It's got to be an incident or a sorcery, and I'm actually kind of curious to know, are the legendary sorceries from original Dominaria and new one possibly some of the best cards to go with this? Maybe, maybe not. It depends on what your general is doing, but you have some really interesting spells like Cars tem Karn's Temporal Sundering is just a time walk mm. with like some gravy but it requires yeah. that you have a Planeswalker on the battlefield essentially and, like that kind of stuff goes hand in hand because you can't cast that spell without your Planeswalker on the battlefield you know and so it's yeah. just like here have it um, and I, I think that that's kind of a TBD and things will shake out uh, in time but it's going to be 
harder to figure out because, like I said, it's just a Planeswalker spell combination rather than just like look reading like the card, the chain veil, and going like, oh, okay. Yeah, um, this card's great with walkers. Cool. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, huh, that works in the format. Or like um, Oath of Teferi or whatever one that allows you to, to come to. Oh, a giant gives you an extra counter. Teferi is the chain veil. I think you get an extra activation. Yeah, so it's like one extra activation. Yeah, yeah. another way to go infinite. Cool. And like stuff like that. I think we're gonna see some some weird things unfold as the format becomes more popular and then we'll really be able to, to hone in and start looking at them with the same kind of eye that we cast at EDH spells during set release. We've just yeah. got to wait for this backfill. And so right now it's kind of a guessing game as people like solve the format. It's not something that Moto supports, so it's all got to be user-generated data, but I think it's going to be a really interesting point to look at. Yeah. You know, like I mentioned a lot of planeswalkers not a lot of them are good but some of the middling ones might actually be pretty decent in oathbreaker yeah the four mana jace that like when you don't have a library win the game is amazing with paradigm shift well yeah but <laughs> speaking of middling planeswalkers that are good in that format that's just a prime example yeah yeah like okay that cards that card's not great but it's really good in oathbreakers so that's something that if the format starts to take off and you see a sea oathbreaker, I guess. Yeah. Like, a, you may see that start to be an opportunity there, and that's that's exactly what you're talking about. Is you have these middling kind of cards that you look at constructed, and you're like, oh, that's really not that great. Yep. But then you think about, oh well, what spell does this go well with? Well, how about you always have access to that spell, and you always have access to that planeswalker. Exactly. Now we're good. Yep. Yeah. And I think that's going to be the interesting thing to to keep an eye on there. Yeah. And I, the. I think there's a lot of weird and interesting ways that the reserve list plays into this as well. I'm sure, uh, because right now I don't think there's anything that says like, "Hey, don't play these sets." So, while this is a very casual format, things aren't honed, and the more it picks up, the additional pressures we shall see over time. Yeah. Um, the limiting factor on the a signature spell being an instant sorcery is kind of neat because you can't say put like a Lurin or food chain or something or like. Uh, an ar another artifact authors of memory jar or something from the reserve list out there so you're not going to yeah. get that kind of pressure and that does kind of limit you a little bit more but you know you named paradigm shift you get a reserve list card uh, there's the Teferi's Veil or whatever that like uh, phases stuff I was going to say gates that's the wrong thing a chain of smog and professor oryx yeah that kind of stuff yeah as your signature spells chain isn't on the reserve list there's still an opportunity there. Yep. Professor Oryx is obviously a recent printing. If Oathbreaker starts to show up at events, maybe those cards take off too. Exactly. Yep. And I think it's going to present an interesting opportunity up, uh, up and down. And so right now, this is something to pay attention to as the, the format kind of comes back. And for what we are looking at this week, I think between these two formats, between CEDH and Oathbreaker, you have a, there's a lot of meat on the bone still for. Yeah. I, I'll call them both EDH variants. I still like to think of Oathbreaker as an EDH variant because it's not quite Canlander. It's not quite Australian Highlander. You're not spending points. It's a singleton system. You technically have a commander, so it's like... It feels like tiny leaders with a purpose. Yeah, it does. So I, I think that's a really good way to put it, is it, it is tiny leaders with a purpose. But... I, I do also think it, you know, Singleton to me just says EDH Highlander. At this so, point, yeah. Yeah. But I, for, you know, this week in the first set of formats, I, I think 
uh, we're good unless there's anything else you want to go on about about CDH. Nope, we are golden. All right. Then that is it for this episode. Our picks will come next week at the end of part two, which you can find uh, the audio version of the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio. You know, everywhere you can find a podcast, we are there. Uh, maybe Audible, maybe not. They're not getting back to us. The video yeah. on YouTube, you can find the you can reach us rather at uh, at MTG Cabal, MTG Cabalcast on Twitter, Facebook and patreon i am at halt i am reptar on youtube you are at thirsty sizzler and we'll see you next week